Amen, amen. Well, good morning, church. I hope you're doing well uh, today. If you don't know me, my name's Billy. I get the privilege to be one of the pastors here. It's a huge honor for me to serve you uh, in that way. If you got your Bibles, you can go ahead and open up to Genesis chapter 1. It's really easy to find. Just open the front cover of your Bible, the first book, first chapter of the first book. And so over the past few weeks, we've been studying God's design uh, for manhood, God's design for women, God's design for the family, which is what we'll talk about today. And then next week, we'll look at God's design for uh, marriage. And so I figured since the kiddos are in the room with us today that I would move family up to today where they could track with us a little bit through uh, what God has and how God intends for our families uh, to work. And I will say just studying this week and over the past few weeks for this sermon, I feel like God has reignited something in me. You know, I have uh, three kids of my own. I'm married, been married for 10 years, uh, have three kids. And so a lot of times uh, in the busyness of that, you can forget uh, or maybe not forget, but just uh, get in survival mode many times. And it was such a beautiful reminder to go back and study all that God's word had to say about the family and just a great reminder and a great opportunity uh, to, to confess and repent from some stuff in my own life. And so I hope that this morning will be encouraging for you as I know it has been for me. And so I want to talk to you about uh, a couple of things. Uh, the first is God's design for the family, God's design for the family. Genesis chapter 1, we'll start in verse 26, and it reads uh, this way. It says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, both male and female, he created them. And then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that moved along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. Somebody say, very good. And there was evening, and then there was morning on the sixth day. And so here we get the first account of God's creation, and God is perfect in his creation. Obviously, we live in a broken world, and we've uh, kind of moved astray from that. But in the beginning, God created things as he wanted them uh, to be. And so we see very clearly God's design for the family. And so the first thing is the first family. What do we see about the first family? In Genesis 1 and 2, we see God created in order, in a specific order he created. He created male, and then he created female, and he created them in relationship to himself. That's what he intends, is for every man and every woman to be in relationship with him. And then he brings the woman to the man in Genesis chapter 2 and has the first marriage ceremony. And so we see male created, female created, in relationship with God. The order is important. And then we see him perform the first marriage ceremony where uh, he brings Eve to Adam. And Adam looks and says, yes, that's one I want. And he uh, creates the first marriage covenant. And then he gives the purpose statement with that, which is to be fruitful and multiply. And so that means physically to have children and to multiply and fill the earth with his glory. So we see that sequence is very, very important. And in the world that we live in, that sequence goes all kinds of different directions uh, where we are. And so if you've went out of sequence already, uh, I would say you can't change the past, but you can know that God's design has a perfect uh, sequence in things. And the purpose for the family unit is given to us in Genesis 1. I want you to write these three words down. Reflection, replication, and ruling. Reflection, replication, and ruling. So the family is designed to reflect 
God's image. God exists in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, a Trinity God. He's triune in his three distinct persons, yet one God. And then he created the family unit. Think about it. Father, mother, children. Three, right? Three but one family. It's kind of the same idea. So he wants us as the family unit to reflect his image into the world. And we reflect that in a lot of different ways within the family unit. Secondly, replicate. He wants us to replicate his glory generationally. We're going to see this more and more as we talk today. But how God created the family to have a generational impact. And so I love this, and I was praying over this over our church uh, this week, but so many of us are the first people in our family to truly follow Christ. And so many of us didn't grow up in families where Christ was uh, the priority and Christ was the center of your home. And so you've given your life to Christ on uh, the second uh, side of that, now that you're an adult. And I want you to understand that because of that, now you have the ability to create a new cycle that will affect generations to come, not just your family, but your kids' family and their family and their family. And we see this in the Bible, this generational. It's why God so many times in the book of Genesis refers to himself as not just the God of Abraham, but who? The God of Abraham and Isaac right, and Jacob. And so he shows that generational presence. He wants us to replicate with the idea of generational filling the earth of his glory. And then lastly, he wants us to rule over his earth in a way that glorifies him. And so the more Christians that exist on the earth in godly families seeking God, the more Christ is seen and God is seen through his people. And that's what he intended. But then not too long after Genesis 1 and 2, we come to Genesis chapter 3 and we see the breakdown of the family begin. And so know this, that sin entered into the world in Genesis chapter 3, uh, sin where uh, Adam and Eve basically chose to go their own way instead of going the ways of God. And this sin separated Adam and Eve from God, so they were designed to be in relationship with God. And once that's pulled out of the sequence, things begin to go bad. And as a result, instead of God's image and God's glory and righteousness spreading throughout the earth, guess what happened? Evil began to spread throughout the earth. And so you see in Genesis chapter 6, and I have to read this uh, for you because it's very, very important. Genesis chapter 6, verse 1. When human beings began to increase in number on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful, and they married any of them that they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortal. Their days will be a hundred and twenty years. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart were only evil all the time and the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground for I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And so we see before the flood, it was the breakdown of the family that had spread evil throughout the world. And the reason the world was in the condition that it was in was because of the breakdown of the family. The consequences of not walking in God's design, especially when it comes to the family, are great. They're massive. They're gigantic. They're huge. I mean, we see this throughout the Bible. We see Isaiah address it, Malachi addresses it, John the Baptist addresses it. Uh, the root of so many issues in our society today stem from the breakdown of the family. I want to read one article uh, that I read this week. It says, the typical American family has changed radically over the last 50 years. Americans today are marrying later than ever before. They're divorcing sooner or avoiding marriage altogether. Whereas married couples dominated the family structure in the years past, only 30% of millennials feel that a successful marriage is an important part of life. As a result of this institutional erosion, more and more children are being born out of wedlock. In, 19, in the 1960s, for example, nearly 95% of babies were born to couples who were married. Today, 40% are born to women who are either single or living with a non-married partner. Often lost in the discussion of marital decline is a simple fact. 
marriage is good for children. In fact, countless studies have shown that children born to married parents enjoy a number of socioeconomic benefits over those born to single parents. Children growing up in homes where two parents who have been married continuously are less likely to experience a wide range of problems, academic, social, emotional, cognitive, not only in childhood, but later on in an adulthood as well. The negative effects are endless. Statistically, I could stand up here all day. I just want to read a few to you. Fatherlessness, specifically, men, causes all kinds of issues. 63% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes. 90% of homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes. 85% of youth in prisons come from fatherless homes. Children with a poor relationship with their father are 68% more likely to end up abusing drugs and alcohol. Educationally, fatherless children are twice as likely to drop out of school. Children need their moms and dads. And when they don't have them, the negative effects are endless. When children are raised by moms and dad, on the opposite end, the positive effects are great. Health-wise, emotionally, educationally, financially, spiritually. And I want to stop and give a caveat. If you're in the room and you're a single mom or you're a single dad, listen, don't take this personal. You keep fighting. Listen, I've heard this said many times. Where God's design is lacking because of mistakes or because of issues, his grace abounds greatly. I mean, I could show you multiple scriptures where God moves closer to the single mom in scripture, the widow. He cares just drastically about that. And I want to say utilize our church family to stand in the gap for you. Surround yourself with godly families because the impact is absolutely incredible. So not only do we see uh, the, the, the first family and then we see the breakdown of the family, but I also want to show you God's redemption of the family as a part of his design. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, the Lord came to Abram and he said this, Go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land that I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation, and I'm going to bless you. And I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So notice God didn't give up on the family because of the breakdown of the family. What did he do? He redeemed it. He came right back to it. He preserved Noah during the flood, and then he went to Abraham, and he says, Abraham, you're going to be the father of the Israelites, and through the Israelites, I'm going to bring Christ, who's going to be the Savior of the world. You see, he uses the family of Abraham to bring Christ into the world, the physical thing that we needed to bring our spiritual salvation. But I want you to see that God's plan for the family has not changed. God's plan to get his glory to the ends of the earth is through the vehicle of the family. That's his primary means of doing that, specifically godly families, but also the family, his family called the church, right? We are uh, God's family as the church. And so the summary statement when you think about God's design for the family is this. I want you to understand God designed us, male and female, both are good and are part of his image. And then he saves us into relationship. That's very, very important for us to, to exist in God's design. And then he brought about marriage. And marriage, a covenant relationship that would display Christ's love for the church, for children to grow up and see that, and for men and husbands and wives to experience that tangible love. And then he brought about uh, children, children into the family for the purpose of reflecting his image, replicating and filling the earth with his glory, and then ruling over the earth in such a way that demonstrates who he is for the world uh, to see. But when that design breaks down, the negative effects are devastating. But when the design is upheld and walked in, the positive effects are incredible. And so we need to understand this about God's design. So number two, I want to talk to you about the importance of the family unit. So we understand God's design. Now I just want to, again, reemphasize the importance of the family unit. And I want to do it out of Psalm chapter 78, verses 1 through 8. Incredible passage. If you've never read this, uh, you should definitely write it down. My people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things from things from of old, things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. 
We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders that he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born. They, in turn, would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. They would not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God and whose spirits were not faithful to him. And so we see God's vision for the family is generational legacy. That's what he has. That's what he thinks about when he thinks about the family. One godly family leads to another godly family, which leads to another godly family. That's his plan, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's generational influence flowing through families. So I think about it like this. For me, I have three kids, Will, Sarah Kate, and Ellie. But when God intends for me to raise them up in a way where they know the Lord and walk with God, he isn't just thinking about Will and Sarah Kate and Ellie. He's thinking about their three families and the kids of their families and the kids of their families, the generational impact that can be had because they were raised in a home to love God. You see, uh, I, I love this, Deuteronomy 7, 9. It says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, and he is faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. Write this down. The most influential thing in a person's life is their family. Statistically, I can show you over and over again, the most influential thing in a person's life is their family because our normals are created by our family. What we see as normal and what it means to live life in a normal way for us comes from our family. I could show you a million examples from, from what you eat to the interests that you have to the hobbies that you partake in to how you fold your towels. And if you've been married, you know, listen, when two normals collide, there's a lot of things in there that are normal for her that ain't normal for you, and you begin to hash those things out. But then on a spiritual note, the greatest influence on a child's spirituality will be their family. Wives are going to be shaped by their husbands, and husbands will be shaped by their wives, and children will be shaped by their parents. And when the gospel is accurately on display in a family, there is no greater discipleship tool on the planet. This is God's primary means. When a child grows up in a home where mom and dad both love and follow Jesus wholeheartedly, nine times out of ten, their kids will grow up and do the same. When both parents model a true relationship with God, they live in a way that's consistent with the gospel, not perfect, but they model repentance and obedience, the impact on their children is absolutely incredible. I could show you this over and over again. Even in the days of my college ministry, I remember talking to kids that had gone astray in college and talking to them about their parents. And their parents that loved God, even though they were running from God, they would look back at their parents and they would say, yeah, my dad's incredible. His devotion to God is incredible. And nine times out of ten, they would run for a little bit, but they would come back. And they would say, no, this isn't the way I want to go. I've seen it in my family. I've seen it in my dad. It's, it's incredible to see that over and over. But on the opposite end, when a child grows up in a home where Jesus is not the priority, then nine times out of ten, their kids will grow up and they will do the same. When Jesus is compartmentalized, when cultural Christianity is practiced, when sin or God's mission is not the center of a household, the impact is devastating generationally devastating. I mean, the wake-up call of my life as a parent came when I realized that my relationship with God was the primary thing that would shape my children's view of God. Talk about accountability. Talk about the opportunity of a lifetime. And I wish I could just sit y'all like a fly on a wall in all of the counseling sessions that I have with people. Usually it always tracks back to their family and tracks back to their dad or to their mom. 
in a good way sometimes and in bad ways many times. So God has designed the family unit to be his primary tool to display and demonstrate the gospel. It's also his primary hub for discipleship. It's also his primary training ground for raising up missionaries, people that live on God's mission. It's also his primary vehicle to spread his glory to the ends of the earth, which is ultimately his plan. And so the family, again, is the primary tool of God, the primary hub of God for discipleship, the primary training grounds for missionaries, the primary vehicle to take his glory to the ends of the earth. And so now we've seen God's design, the what, we've seen the why, why he designed it this way, the importance of it. So now I want to spend the rest of our time just talking practically about how do we do this? Practically, how do we walk in God's design as a family? And I want to give a caveat. I'm 35 years old right now, about to be 35 in July. I have three kids. I'm in the middle of this. They're probably, I have a five-year-old, I have a two-year-old, and I have a about-to-be-six-month-year-old. And so many of you in this room have already been through this. And so y'all are probably going to look at these things that I say and laugh. That's okay. I'm fine with that. But I'm speaking to a church that's made up primarily of young families who are in the midst of the same thing that I'm in the midst of, trying to raise up my kids to love God. And you know where I'm at, and I know where you're at, and I want to just give you a few things that have helped me in my life. So I want to speak to you as young parents or as parents-to-be if you're in the room and you're not a part of that yet. How do we parent in a way that displays and demonstrates the gospel? How do we effectively disciple our children? How do we raise them up and send them out? I think many of us know that we're supposed to be doing that. So I don't think that's the issue. I don't have to spend much time knowing that that's what God has given us kids for. I think where the breakdown happens is in the how. Like how do we do this and the practically uh, the practicality of living it out. And so here are the four things that I would encourage for you. Number one is we got to understand the goal. We have to understand the goal. And I want to show you the goal out of God's Word. Psalm chapter 127, verses 3 through 5. If you've dedicated your child at our church, you've heard this passage preached. Psalm 127, verses 3 through 5. Listen to what God says. Children are a heritage. There's different translations. Some say children are a gift from the Lord. Offspring, a reward from him. So like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born into one's youth. Blessed is the man and woman whose quiver is full of them. So here I want you to underline two things. One, heritage or gift. And two, arrows. So the psalmist teaches us, God through the psalmist, that children are a gift and they are an arrow to be shot out. And both of those are very, very important. The first is children are a gift of God to be enjoyed and stewarded. We've got to understand that. They're a gift from God, and because they're a gift, they're to be enjoyed. They're a gift, and they're to be stewarded. So one, they're a gift to be enjoyed. In the thick of parenting, sometimes we forget this truth. I know I do many times. When uh, there's three young kids in the house, I have to remind myself often, these are gifts from God to me. Right, And many of you know what I'm talking about with that. They can be rascals. Sometimes they can make you want to pull your hair out. For instance, the other day, uh, Will and I were outside hitting uh, baseballs, and he wants to play. He loves baseball. So we're hitting baseballs, and I'm putting together a net because I've noticed when I pitch to him in front of the house, he fouls balls off, and there's all kind of glass and windows there. So I'm responsible. I order a net to put behind him. And I'm putting this net together. Well, he's also been watching the Atlanta Braves. And so a lot of the Atlanta Braves, when they like to hit home runs, they like to do what's known as a bat flip. How I many of you guys know what a bat flip is? So I'm, I'm putting together this net. You probably know where the story's going already. And he's practicing, I guess, his bat flip. Well, I, as I'm putting this together, I feel this, this just whack on the back of my head that just causes immediately a, a, a bump to raise up on my head. And I look at Will, and he's sitting over there like this, you know. And I'm like, buddy, what are you doing? Like, why would you do that? And so I sit there and think about it uh, for, for a little bit. In that moment, I probably didn't make the right uh, decision. So I, I spank him, and I'm like, buddy, you, you got to think about what you're doing. And I'm like, go to your room. And so he goes to his room, 
And then meanwhile, Sarah Kate, which is my, my two-year-old, and she's the fun one. Listen, I could tell you all stories and stories. So she comes outside after a couple minutes, and I'm like, buddy, I'm like, Sarah Kate, go get your brother. Tell him, tell him he can come out of his room. So Kate's inside. She has no idea what's going on. And so um, I'm mad, of course, because I've been hit in the back of the head with a bat. Like, a, I mean, you know. And so Sarah Kate goes into the room, and guess what she says? Does she say, Will, it's time to come out of the room? Absolutely not. She's going to play this thing for everything she's got, right? So she says, Will, Daddy said you need to stay in here longer. <laughs> and I'm like, where does she learn that? Like, where do you even get that, you know? So she's taking full advantage of Will being punished so she can spend time with her dad, all right? Um, so anyway, it, sometimes it's difficult to remember in the situation that children are a gift from God, but they are. And they brought an incredible amount of joy into our home. And we love our kids. So much laughter, happiness, fun, uh, drama, uh, and I couldn't imagine life without them. So not only am I trying to enjoy them, but also they're a gift to be stewarded. And I think this is important for us to understand. Our kids belong to God. They belong to God before they belong to us. And he, cre- he created them. You know, maybe we did some of the work, but he did most of it. And he gave life into their lungs, and he's the one that breathed life into them. And God chose us to be their parents, and he chose me to be their parents. And he entrusted me as a steward, as an instrument to raise them up, to teach them and train them and cultivate their heart for God. And this is my God-given responsibility. And so here's a question I love to ask myself. If I were God, would I trust me as a parent? If I were God, would I trust me as a parent? Would I trust me? to do what he has asked me to do. If the answer to that is no, then there's some room to grow. The psalmist also says not only are children a gift, but he also tells us they're arrows to be shot out for the glory of God. This mindset will change everything when you begin to see what God intends. When I think about my children as entrusted to me by God to disciple, raise up, and then send out as missionaries into the world, it changes everything about everything that parenting uh, inquires of. It changes how I view them. It changes how I spend time with them. It changes how I parent them. It changes how I discipline them. It changes how I prepare them for life. And this is God's vision for kids. They're a gift to be enjoyed, to be stewarded. They're also arrows to be shot out on the mission for the mission of God. And, And God's vision for our kids comes with a clear strategy. If we want to walk in the ways of God, there's a clear strategy. If they're arrows to be shot out, then they need to be saved. They need to know God. And it's our job to help them. We can't save them, but we can kindle and cultivate a heart for God so that when God does save them, they they understand and they've seen it lived out in the home. If they're arrows to be shot out, then they need to be discipled. Then they need to be taught the ways of God and trained. And, and taught the word of God. If they're arrows to be shot out, then they also need to be sent. So we can't hold on to them forever. We have to send them out as missionaries, leave and cleave, right? They have to go and they have to begin to walk on their own. And if you're parenting your kids in such a way that creates dependence on, on you, then you're doing it in the wrong way because they're meant to be sent out. Not that you have to completely do away with them, but they need to be standing on their own two feet by the time that they're out of uh, college and out of your house. I love this Jim Elliott quote. Jim Elliott was a famous missionary. Many of you guys know his story. He was killed in Ecuador as a missionary in uh, 1956. But he wrote these words to his parents after he told them that he was going uh, onto the mission field. And it always challenges me. Anytime I'm around missionaries who are willing to give up everything to follow the Lord, I'm super challenged because there's a lot of things that they give up that we hang on to because we're more attached to this world than we are to God. And so I try to read through this many times. If you've been to a baby dedication, you've heard this quote before. So listen to it. Again, Jim Elliott, missionary, uh, he wrote this to his parents. He says, I do not wonder that you were saddened at the word of my going to South America. He's writing to his parents. This is nothing else than what the Lord Jesus warned us of when he told the disciples that they must become so infatuated with the kingdom of God and following him that all other allegiances must become as though they were not. 
And he never excluded the family tie from that. In fact, those loves which we regard as closest, he told us, must become as hate in comparison with our desires to be upheld, uphold his cause. So grieve not then if your sons seem to desert you, but rejoice rather seeing the will of God done gladly in them. Remember how the psalmist described children. He said that they were as a heritage from the Lord and that every man should be happy who had his quiver full of them. And what is a quiver full of, full of but arrows? And what are arrows for but to shoot? So with the strong arms of prayer, draw the bowstring back and let the arrows fly, all of them, straight at the enemy's host. Give of thy sons to bear the message of God glorious. Give of thy wealth to speed them on their way and pour out thy soul for them in prayer victorious. And all that you spend, Jesus will repay. I love that. It's an incredible quote. And so here's the question we must ask ourselves. Is this our goal in parenting? Is this our goal in parenting? To see our kids saved, to see them discipled up in the ways of God, and to see them sent out for the glory of God. May we be a church that takes this responsibility seriously and parents with this goal in mind. That's what God has called us to do, and I pray that we will step into that. So first, we have to understand the goals. The second thing that I think will be helpful for us is we need to model a relationship with God. We need to model a relationship with God. This is probably the most important advice that I could ever give you. The children, uh, your children need to tangibly see a relationship with God. Just because we're raised in the Bible Belt, where everybody's a Christian, doesn't save us from this, right? Many people are raised in homes today where they, their understanding of Christianity is shaped more by a person saying they're a Christian than it is by a person actually following the Lord. And both of those can do major damages for us. They need to tangibly see what a real relationship with God is in mom and dad. Not just hear about one, but see one. Okay, she, she's only two, but uh, we're, we're, you know, she's in potty training right now, and she's, she's, bless her heart, defiant in a lot of ways, and she's trying to figure that out, how to control her emotions. It's my first time with a girl, so y'all pray for me. Um, 
And so I'm not used to all the drama and the emotions. And so one of the things that we'll do before we go to bed is we'll pray a prayer. And it's the same prayer every night. And I'm just trying to teach her how to pray this prayer. And it's, Lord, help me listen and obey and help me go TT in the potty. Right? And we pray it, pray it every day. We pray it in the morning time on the way to school. And we pray it every night before we go to bed, right? And so I bring her back to it. So like the foundation of our discipleship right now is her learning how to pray. And I'll make her pray it. Like, Lord, help me. Because I want her to learn that we can ask God for help. No matter what it is. If it's just potty training things or if it's trying to listen and obey. All of those things, God will help us. And he wants to help us do those things. Show them how to serve and live on mission. Listen, our dinner table is the greatest discipleship vehicle. I mean, who, like, invite people into your home. Show your children that you love other people and that you want them to know the Lord and that you want them to grow. Invite people into your, you, you should have noticed as you walked into church today, did you notice that there were uh, blue connectors that might have been a little smaller? If you look at their shirts, I mean, they're incredible. It says, now, most of your shirts say every person has a purpose. Well, we ordered new shirts that said every kid has a purpose, right? Because we want them to understand that they do have a purpose in the kingdom of God, and God wants to use them in an incredible way. This is the greatest thing we can do for our children is be a model for them. Let me simplify that. The greatest thing we can do for our children is follow Jesus wholeheartedly. The most simple, simple parenting advice that you could ever get is to be a better parent, just be more like Christ. To be a better husband, be more like Jesus. To be a better teammate, be more like Christ. That's the, the, the picture that we want to see. This is why growth and sanctification are so important. Don't think that your drift into complacency or you backing off of your relationship with God or drifting into cultural Christianity just affects you. Because it does not. As a parent, it affects the whole family. And so we must understand that. So I challenge every person in this room to keep growing. Keep taking next steps. Because the fruit of your growth is not just personal. It's generational. And it's coming through you into the lives of your kids and to all sorts of people around you. And you know this. Look around. God's blessed our church tremendously with young families. I mean, we have every Sunday over 150 kids that walk through the doors of Connection Kids. Every Sunday, 150 children between the ages of kindergarten and fifth grade. That is huge. Shame on us if we waste this opportunity that we have. Like it's an incredible, incredible opportunity. The future of the kingdom of God is in Connection Kids and Connection Students right now. They're our future disciple makers. They're our future church planners. They're our future missionaries. That, this is another great reason that if you're not serving in Connection Kids, to go serve in Connection Kids. Because the impact, think about this, the greatest use of God for your life may not be your life, it may be the child that you're investing your life into. It's an incredible thought to think about, and God's given us an incredible opportunity to do that. And my prayer is that God would use our church family and use the parents in this room as a part of this church to raise up a generation of children and students that would impact this world in far greater ways than we could ever do. And that's going to start with us as parents, and it's going to keep on with us as a church being focused on raising up the next generation and, and raising them in homes where it's normal to follow Jesus, where Jesus is not just lip service, but he's the foundation of the home. He is the firm foundation that we're building everything on. So here's a question for you, a couple. If you read the Bible with your kid tonight, if you were to open the Bible and read it with, your, with them tonight, would it feel normal? Like, would it feel normal? Is that a normal part of your, your time with your children? If not, then let's make it. Because part of them growing up in a home to follow the Lord is seeing the normal rhythms of a true disciple. If your kids grow up and they lived exactly how you do today, would it exemplify a growing relationship with God? This is why our growth is so important. Because if they're becoming who we are, then if we're growing, then they'll want to grow in their relationship with God. Are the children in your home seeing a real relationship with God lived out in front of them? Not a perfect one, but a real relationship with God. Are you showing them, bringing them into that? The third thing I want to encourage you with is to be intentional. Be intentional. 
one of the things that, that's very uh, sobering is uh, there's an app that you can download if you really want to depress yourself real quick. It's called the Parent Q app, P-A-R-E-N-T-Q-Q-U-E, Parent Q. It's a, it's a kid's curriculum that we used to do. And when you download it, it'll ask you to type in the birthdays of all of your children. And what it does is when you open that app, it gives you the amount of time that you have left raising that kid until they turn 18, right? And then all the mamas started crying. And so every time that I open the Parent Q app, I see a picture of Will, cutest picture I have of him, and it tells me that I have 612 weeks until he moves on to what's next. And there's a cute picture of Sarah Kate, and it says I have 799 weeks left before she moves on to what's next. And there's a cute picture of Ellie, and it says I have 911 weeks until she moves on to what's next. And the reason I open that is because I want to be reminded that I only have a certain amount of time left with them in my home to raise them up before I shoot them out. And it brings me back to the reason I need to be intentional. And I love a passage, Joshua chapter 24, maybe my favorite passage when it comes to being intentional. I want you to listen to it. Joshua is the leader of the Israelites. He's the leader of the church, so to speak, at this moment. And he gets to the end. Uh, in, uh, he's, he's walking through and he's led the Israelites through a lot of different stuff. And he's, he, he's, he's noticed that they're quick to go astray and turn away from God. And he gets them to the end. And this is kind of his draw a line in the sand speech to them. Verse 14, Joshua 24. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve God, serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord, right? So he's the leader. He's drawing the line in the sand. He's looking at all of his people, and he's saying, listen, some of y'all have drifted away to other cultural gods, and you're doing your own thing, but I just want you to know that's not what God's called us to, and today I'm telling you, me and my household are going to serve the Lord. And like Joshua with the Israelites, parents today I really want to challenge you and bring you to this same crossroads. Because honestly, this is what kingdom parenting in the world that we live in comes down to today. Like we have to draw a line in the sand and say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Because there's plenty of ways to raise your kids. There's plenty of ways to raise them. There's plenty of ways to invest in them. There's plenty of priorities that you can have for your kids that are not Christ. You can have educational priority, where what you care about is that they get a good education so that they can be successful in life. Nothing wrong with that. It can be athletical, right? We can have, uh, want our kids to be the greatest athletes and pour into them and practice with them and hope that they're going to be the next Derek Jeter and spend all of our time and energy on those things, which is not a bad thing. But when it's a God thing, it's a bad thing. Or we can just morally try to raise good kids, just teach them right from wrong. We just want to raise a good kid that knows right from wrong and is moving forward, which is nothing wrong with that. But that's not the primary calling of us as godly parents. The primary responsibility that God's given us and what's important to us is that they know the Lord and that we raise them up spiritually. And here's what we need to understand. What's important to us will become important to them. So if sports are the most important thing in my life, then the most important thing in Will's life will most likely be sports. If your kid, the most important thing you want for them is to be uh, smart in school and to make good grades and to go off and be successful and go to college, if that's the most important thing to you, that's probably going to become the most important thing to them. But how would it look if the most important thing to me and you with our kids was that they know God and follow the Lord? And so I'm asking you today to choose, just like Joshua, to serve God above all else. To make serving God the primary aim for you and your household. To care more about shaping your child's eternity than you do anything else, including everything that this world has to offer. And listen, this is not an easy road in this world. 
especially when everyone else is moving a different direction. And being intentional has to be more than just our words because words aren't enough when it comes to parenting our kids. Actions speak louder. It's one thing to say, I want to serve God. It's another to actually prioritize your life to serve God. So what does this look like? Well, it means we have to take an honest assessment of our lives. And we all love doing this, right? We love seeing uh, an honest assessment of our lives. Specifically, where are we spending our time? We have to ask ourselves some tough questions. There are 168 hours in a week. You sleep and work for 112 of those hours. So that leaves us with 56 hours a week. And if you divide that by seven, you got eight hours of the day, every day where you decide what you're doing. Eight hours of every day where you decide what you're doing. So here's my question. What are you doing with those eight hours? I'm not asking, do you go to work? I'm not asking for your excuses about work and sleep, all that stuff. I'm asking for the eight hours of the day where you get to choose what you and your family does. What are the priorities? Are you prioritizing the Lord? Are you prioritizing spiritual things above all else? And then the last thing that we got to be able to do is we got to be able to ask God for help. Our greatest weapon in parenting is prayer. It is. It is. God has the ability to do what we cannot do. He can change hearts and he can change situations and we cannot. Parenting is not something that God's designed for us to do on our own. Parenting should draw us in to Christ. It should draw us closer to a relationship with God. Listen, there's nothing in my life that reveals weakness and sin in me more than parenting. And parenting should draw us to Christ because we can't save our kids. We can't, we're, we're going to face unexpected situations and circumstances. We're going to face times where we have no idea what to do. And God has ordained those instances to draw us closer to Him. So parenting is as much for us as it is for our kids. And will we allow it to draw us into God? And listen, this is where our church family is a gift from God to you. There's people in this room that have walked through what you're walking through. There's people in this room that are walking through what you're walking through right now with you. And they would love to help. But you've got to be willing to be honest and say, man, I'm in a situation I don't know how to do. Billy, is there anybody in the church that I can talk to? And I'm telling you, it can be an incredible, incredible resource. We're here to help. You don't have to parent in isolation. You don't have to figure this thing out on your own. God has help around you. So here's how I want to close our time together. I really just want to spend some time praying, and I want to pray for each of the individuals in the room. I understand there's so many different people in different situations. And so for the fathers in the room, I got a verse for you, and I want you to write this verse down. I want you to take it with you, and I want you to remember it. Genesis chapter 18, verse 19. God says, for I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Fathers in the room, your relationship with God is important. It's important. And your presence and your leadership and your family is a big deal. Discipling your family is the greatest calling that God has placed on your life. To the moms in the room, Proverbs chapter 31, verses 25 through 31. It says, she is clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. She speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children arise and they call her blessed and her husband does also and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Honor her for all that her hands have done and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. Moms, your relationship with God is important. Your presence in your home and your focus on spiritual matters there is going to make a huge difference in the future of the kingdom of God. Discipling your family is the greatest calling on your life. Now to the kiddos in the room. I want you to know that God loves you and he desires to have a relationship with you. 
And he sent his son Jesus to die so that you could know him and that you could know what you were put on this earth to do, which is walk in relationship with him. And God gave you a mom and dad. And that's a blessing. And and everything that they do, hopefully, is coming out of a desire for you to know the Lord. And I want you to understand that. It's Colossians chapter 3, verse 20. The Bible tells us, children, obey your parents in everything because it pleases the Lord. So would you remember when your parents ask you to do something, to obey them, because that obedience reflects how you obey God. And then lastly, to the grandparents in the room, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. Paul tells Timothy, he says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. One of the biggest influences on the life of Timothy was his grandmother, Lois. And so whether you're a grandma or a granddad in the room, your relationship with God is important. And we need you. As a young parent, we need you to help us. Teach us what nobody taught you that you think that we need to know. Impose yourself into our lives so that we can learn through you. So right where you are, I want you to bow your head. Father, our prayer this morning is, God, that you would use our church, God, to raise up families that impact this world for your kingdom. And, Lord, that starts with a relationship with you. And so, God, I pray specifically for the people in this room this morning, God, if if they're in this room and they don't have a relationship with you, God, would you draw them to yourself in this moment? And, God, would they make the decision that they want to turn from their self and turn from living for themselves and turn to you? And, God, that they would live in relationship with you and, Lord, they would receive you as Savior and as Lord. And, God, that you would do an incredible work in their heart this morning. So, Father, that's our prayer. God, would you do in us what we can't do for ourselves? God, raise us up to be the parents and be the families that you've called us to do to impact your world. We love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being here, and we'll see you back next week.